right, folks. Welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Chris McClellan. Today we have a very special co-host who's trying to take the reins from you as the host. We usually have Victoria Whitaker, but today we have Victoria Tori Poladano. <laughs> I can never pronounce your last name. Poladano. And so... Tori's on. Tori works at Jackson Lucas. She leads our legal practice. She's uh, was a practicing attorney uh, and now is a recruiter. So Tori had worked with, we just interviewed Stephanie Smith, who Tori has worked with. She actually placed her at her current firm, which is called Offit and Kerman, out of uh, their Bethesda office. And Stephanie has a long history of working with affordable housing developers and diverse developers and immigrant developers. She does a lot of pro bono work, sits on a lot of boards, and is really just super passionate about the work. Um, so thanks for bringing her on there, uh, Tori. Absolutely. How do you think she did? Um, I think she's amazing. Stephanie's practice is so interesting because she really is driven by making a difference in people's lives. Um, she's also incredibly smart. She's a tax genius, has an LLM in tax, handles trust and estates, real estate, and tax for her clients. And she's just a powerhouse. I think she is a real, real pleasure to speak to and listen to. How was your first time on the podcast? Do you think you might do it again? Um, I would. I would love to do it again. I wish I knew more people as intriguing as Stephanie. <laughs> well, you don't. I mean, you listen to this podcast. Most of the people aren't that intriguing. I'm kidding. Uh, thank yeah. Thank God we got amazing guests on here, and we have an amazing producer named Julio who's patiently waiting for us to wrap this up. So, thanks, Julio, and please listen to the podcast, rate the podcast, review the podcast, and share it with your friends. I appreciate you listening and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Chris. All right. I'm fine. And how are you? I am great. And we have Victoria Polidoro, Tori. And Victoria, you're going to be changing your name to something else, right? Yes, I am going to be changing my name. Yes. What's it going to be? It will be Victoria Coleman. Ah. Not Italian, <laughs> huh? Oh, well. No. Uh, how are you both doing today? So Victoria is my co-host. This is her first time co-hosting, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, she's a little nervous. I can tell. It's okay, though. Uh, so, Stephanie, where you said you're in... in uh, in Maryland, how, how are things going in, in Maryland? Um, it, you know, very hot. <laughs> Actually, today yeah. is cooler than it has been in the last few months. So, I'm I'm appreciative, and there's been no rain. Uh, there was a lot of rain yesterday, so it's good to have a, a one day, one dry day during the week. And it's 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 six o'clock there, and you look like you're still working very hard into the night. Is that true? Oh, oh yeah. This is my second shift. <laughs> second shift. Yeah. Why don't you tell? So you're an attorney. Yes. Correct. I don't think we've had any practicing attorneys on this podcast before. Uh, you've worked a lot within the real estate world. Yes. Um, you've worked a lot with with affordable housing, I believe, as well with HUD. Yeah. Um, can you just tell us? who you are and what you do. 
How about what you okay. do? Let's start there. Okay, great. Um, well, as you've indicated, I am a practicing attorney that my areas of, uh, I, well, you don't usually say expertise, but the areas that I primarily practice are real estate and tax. Mm-hmm. And under real estate, I represent developers, investors, and um, companies, including um, individuals as well, um, in buying and selling real estate. Um, when I represent my developer investor clients, it's uh, primarily in the multifamily space, which uh, they generally will utilize a variety of financial sources. Um, and one of those financial sources um, is a, it's t- is a, a tax credit program called the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Program, mm. and under and so what that means is that there are tax credits that they can uh, bid on and through the state in order to get in exchange for tax credits for developing uh, low income housing, or affordable housing. They then get uh, financing from a broker of tax credits so that they can exchange those tax credits they get from the state to the investor and the investors get the financing to the developers. We have, I mean, I've worked, I've, so I, I work with a lot of affordable housing developers. Um, I've interviewed a number of them on this podcast. One, as an attorney, do you just think you just want to smack them a lot of times? Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, <laughs> A lot of times I have to put on my mommy hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do that, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's something you're not trained how to do in law school, but certainly as a parent, yeah. when you tell them, please don't sign a document until I see it. And, you know, they think it's a ploy, like, oh, the attorneys are trying to rack up their bills. But honestly, we're trying to save you money. Because to unwind deals um, is a lot more expensive than, you know, starting in a deal with your eyes wide open and yeah. uh, making sure that the deal, you know, the, the train runs on time. Tori's going to lead most of this podcast. She's insisted she'd be the, the host and I'm the co-host of this episode. But I just have one question. What um, When you're doing a real, say I'm, I'm a real estate developer. Yes. So let's get in the tax. We do a lot of on on this on the affordable housing. Say I'm a, uh, you know, I'm filling out the paperwork to get awarded tax credits for a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, where what at what stage do I bring in an attorney, and what do you what is like the process for you throughout mm-hmm. a deal? Well, um, typically, you know, uh, the the developer would hire an attorney um, once they get their uh, tax credits awarded. Mm. And that's, you know, kind of a run of the mill tax credit attorney or attorney who may um, practice commercial real estate and have, you know, a couple of these type of clients. However, with me, (laughs) I have and this is through my own experience, having worked with variety of nonprofit developers, I start from ground zero. Um, When I was uh, teaching at University of Michigan Law School in its affordable housing clinic uh, many moons ago, um, we represented primarily church groups that would form a community development entity to joint venture with a for-profit group. And because there was little to no experience 
in the you know real estate arena, we actually started with those developed uh, with that church group at the beginning. So we helped them fill out the application. And in addition to working with that C, well, the CBE, which is the um, entity that comes, that's been formed from the church group, we would then work with the for-profit uh, entity as well so that they can be the most attractive in being awarded tax credits. So I have had the opportunity to, I, I call it having been in triage um, <laughs> because I you know, literally have sat with um, folks who just neighborhood people who wanted to make sure that they could control the type of development in their communities. Mm. And I was there not only um, as their attorney, but as in the, you know, the colloquial and of the, uh, the practice of law and being the counselor. So I would counsel them through this whole process and help them strategize in order to make sure that you know, they knew what they were doing and getting themselves into and helping them um, understand and appreciate the long game. And what I mean by that is not having any of your projects foreclosed on, you mm. know, um, throughout that process. So it is a, a very intricate and um, heavily regulated area um, uh, that the IRS um, uh, has made sure that these tax credit projects are, um, you know, sustained for the period that they are, um, that they have the tax credits available to them. So. Nice. All right. Okay. That's a good answer. Um, so you're involved in the whole thing and you, you sound yes, like you it, know what you're talking it, about. Yes. I, <laughs> I have done this for a long time. <laughs> So Stephanie, well, can you tell us? Yeah, can you tell us about um, your start in real estate? I mean, today you're the partner at an AMLA 200 law firm. You've worked in government. You've had your own firm. Um, you've been a professor at probably the top law school in the country. Um, how did you get into it? Well, um, you know, it's always interesting in that you, when you think about how you start, it's always a personal experience, right? So after undergrad, um, I worked with my family in California in the 80s, and I'm dating myself, okay? <laughs> you look <laughs> great. This, I thank you so much. Um, and they were venture capitalists, and uh, which, you know, an investor, for startup businesses and real estate ventures and whatnot. And so I was just a grunt at the time doing everything they told me to do. And I was helping them um, with investing in, in real estate development in San Diego in the late 80s. Mm. Um, and this was before the first real major recession. So I, I really do feel like a dinosaur. Um, and. <laughs> <laughs> With the one and in the I, 1930s? Yeah, yeah, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I saw in this, and so this was like 88, and if you all or may have read about it, but 89 is when the stock market crashed and everybody's money came tumbling down. Um, and all the development that they had invested in literally just stopped. So at the time, San Diego was really hustle and bustling, and then you saw... 
cranes that were, I mean, it was like frozen in time. Like all the real estate development was just stopped because everyone was, had pretty much gone bankrupt. And so interestingly enough, um, you know, I had a, you know, a, a real front view of how to not do real estate <laughs> and, and really understand the, the long, you know, term, um, uh, kind of the compass of the industry and how you as a developer investor and how you fit in and how you have to look at the plan of the the community, the, the state, um, and regionally on whether or not whatever you are investing in, how is that going to, what, what kind of community impact that's going to have and and are you part of that master plan? So just kind of fast forwarding and not to bore anyone with the legislative um, uh, kind of the uh, genesis of the this is a real, tax a real this is a podcast about real estate. So this is not going to okay. be like, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so in people listening to this are nerds. Yes. Oh, good, good, good. So as you know, the tax credit act came into being um, or the revision of it in 1992. So if you kind of con if you do connect the dots, if you think about what happened in the late 80s and how government probably came together and said, hey, we need to now um, uh, reinvigorate the real estate community and incentivize those developers probably who lost their shirts um, in the late 80s and how to incentivize them to do development in urban communities, which in turn will, you know, um, kind of uh, to, to reinvigorate the whole community, the, the um, economy. So not, this is all from me. This is not something you can read. I'm just make, just connecting the dots, mm -hmm. but that then spurred affordable housing investment and development in 1992 and as still as we see it today. So um, cities such as Chicago, New York, LA, even, uh, even Philadelphia had in the mid to late 90s really underwent a tremendous transformation. And part of that, which may not be touted very much in you know the investment community, is the development, um, gentrification, of these uh, cities because of affordable housing and the ability to develop below market apartments. And, and then what happens from there is you have pe more people that want to move into the urban communities and then retail follows. And then it, then the market rate, very expensive, you know, um, multifamily, um, projects then are, are developed. And so you, that's what you had seen in the, in the nineties. And I, I believe, and again, this is just in my opinion, connecting the dots throughout the last 20 years, um, the spur of the, the initial spur of investment opportunities for investors, um, to get tax credits, you know, in, you know, by financing these affordable housing projects. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely spurred. It's spurred. They incentive. Yeah, it's exactly. They incentivize developers to build affordable housing, and mm -hmm. it seemed to work, right? It it did, and I was excited by it because um, even prior to law school, 
I was in that uh, in the real estate space. I, I worked um, with real estate attorneys at major law firms in New York and um, also uh, major uh, mortgage companies. So I had always kind of seen and been around real estate, not just from a brick and mortar perspective, but also from an asset perspective. I um, I worked um, in this uh, commercial mortgage-backed securities marketplace for a while. Um, so I saw, you know, how what it means to pool, you know, um, real estate. And I always feel like I've, I've seen real estate in, on all levels. And mm. I've seen how it informs um, communities, investors, developers, politicians, um, you know, community leaders, um, families, and it is really just the it's the gem of the of how our country has grown and 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 to help it become the superpower it it is and it's you know it's it's the generator of wealth mm. of income and I wanted to be a part of that um, and I've had so many opportunities outside of just representing uh, developers you know, and investors in this space, but I've been a bond underwriter for New Jersey Housing Mortgage Finance oh, cool. Agency. I was uh, chief of staff for U U.S. Department of Agriculture's Rural Financing wow. Programs, uh, where we, you know, it primarily financed um, housing in rural communities. Um, I've, you know, had my own law firm where I had a variety of of different types of real estate, um, you know, or cadre of, of clients in the real estate industry. And now I'm, you know, with uh, off at Kerman as a partner and, and I'm excited to be here because it gives me the opportunity to take all of that, that experience that I have and, um, and be able to represent even a, a more sophisticated real estate uh, community. So um, I, I really do love, I, I love real estate um, in all aspects. Uh, as a tax attorney, I see it even from a, 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 I guess, a different layer of how to, to counsel my clients when they're thinking about investing in real estate and or developing real estate and to kind of look at every angle of their deal and not just from an investment perspective, but also from a tax perspective. So as you can see, I'm passionate. I love this stuff. I've been practicing law for over 20 years and I'm still in the game. <laughs> Stephanie, I love how uh, your practice is, it's multifaceted, um, but it really does center on real estate and um, you know, your, your tax counseling is, you're truly an expert in tax. I mean, you hold an LLM in tax law and also have trust and estates aspects to your practice. Can you tell us about how your practice as a whole really is centered on real estate, but kind of spins off in different areas of law? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I, I use a kid around and say, you know, I, I talk tax, right? <laughs> but <laughs> I talk the, turkey. The, yeah, I, I, talk, I talk tax. I'm the tax woman cometh. I even want to form um, a tax uh, attorney slash um, a tax accountant kind of big brother reality uh, show. That'd be and exciting. You see? 
I think it, I don't know. I think you should do a tax attorney like dating website. Yeah. Oh, let me tell you, I tax attorneys are probably the most. Uh, the, I think they're like the the funnest. I know that's not a real word, but I'm it's taking a real word. Every, we, re, I mean, we just have a ball, and tax real real estate tax attorneys are like the best of the best. Okay, and <laughs> um, and I I kid around, but 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 it's true. Everything has a tax component to it, but in all of that, when you are dealing with people or corporations, um. Uh, business entities of all various sizes, invariably there's going to be some real estate issue. I mean, it's an asset. If you, I I work with, um, uh, I do a lot of estate administration and I, I work with a lot of individuals who, you know, lost a loved one and their main issue is, hey, my loved one had a house. What do we do? Mm-hmm. Right. I work with um, corporations in the, you know, that want to form business trusts. And they're like, hey, our corporation owns this real estate. How do we divide it up? What do we do? So there's always some real estate component. Of course, I layer it with my with tax because I always want to draw people attention to that. Um, But there's always some aspect in the world of anything. I mean, I can go into family law, family law, which I have practiced here and there, but I do not hold myself out as a family law attorney, but there's always the issue of dividing the property. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just think that, um, for me, I have created this niche of, of being able to tease out of every aspect of whatever deal I'm doing and get deep into the real estate, whatever it is, because let me tell you something, as simple as it may be, the notion of having um, your name on a deed, you know, there's always an issue with tenancy. Or someone would say, oh, my dad left my, uh, my sister and I a property And I asked them, well, what's the tenancy? And they're like, well, what do you mean? And then we find out, you know, we go down this rabbit hole of whether you're a joint tenant or whether you're a tenant in common, which takes you to, uh, you know, a whole different level of what you think you actually own. And so I believe that um, the, I, I believe honestly that even though we have real estate uh, attorneys out there that represent their clients to the best of their ability, that it's not talked about enough with everyday people on the uh, on what your demise could be if your interest in your real estate, um, your, your home or home that you've inherited or you're trying to buy with your company, what are the different aspects of that deal and what are some of the you know what is your long-term plans for that real estate what are your short-term plans so to answer your question in a very long and roundabout way victoria everything has a, t- uh, a tax component but you can tease out of that a real estate aspect of it 
How, what makes a good real estate attorney? Like what skill set should somebody learn? Or if they say somebody's looking to get into the law, be they, they dream of being a real estate attorney, like what should they be expecting day to day? And what sort of sales skill set do you use? Well, let, let me say this, and I and I um, I don't want to play the I'm going to answer another question with a question, or <laughs> I'm going to answer well, you're another, gonna. another way. But um, I'm I'm a mentor to several young uh, associates, and the first thing I tell them to do is understand business acumen. The first thing you must do is understand what it means to um, operate in this world, to know what money is, know the value of that, of money. Just, I mean, just literally starting from ground zero, read the Wall Street Journal or what, what, however people get their information today, if you don't have it in a newspaper form, but really understand what is happening in the world of business. Second, understand the marketplace. So you understand what's happening on, you know, the, what, what is a Dow? You know, what, what is the stock market? What are the various types of products are sold on the market? And the reason why this is so important, because when you understand it from a macro perspective, then when you whittle it down to understand when even representing your client who wants to buy their first home, you can connect those dots from top to bottom and explain to your client why their interest rate is what it is. What is the difference between a fixed and a variable? You know, what is the concept of a refinancing of the property? What are the various other types of mortgage products that may be beneficial to you in the long run? What does it mean to be on a deed with someone who you're not married to and why it's important to understand the notion of tenancy? So that's the first thing I will t I tell my mentees, understand the world you live in and the money because Real estate really is the engine that runs this economy. Once you get that and understand it with ease, then everything else is just technical. Yeah. Okay, your skill set that you learn, um, even in law, everyone says what you learn in law school, you don't really use in practice. Real estate is that practice area where you actually do use what you learn mm. in law school. And I let and what's so funny, like for example, the rule against perpetuity, and I know Victoria is probably going, What? Uh, no, no. <laughs> yes, you actually have to understand that. I actually had to review a state statute on its particular notion of rule against perpetuity to make sure that this deed of property despot was transferred down, transferred down, transferred down, transferred down, transferred down, inherited through the family, that it was going to be kept at some point. And the reason why is because the lovely tax office wants to make sure that at some point in time, the house is going to be sold at arm's length, right? So that they can get what? transfer taxation, recordation transfer. So because if everyone keeps inheriting property in perpetuity, 
it's done so without it being taxed. You follow? That is the importance of rule against perpetuity. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, you should write a book <laughs> about practical applications for the rule of perpetuities. It's so much clearer when you explain it than learning it <laughs> from I, I, a textbook. It was, and so, and of course, even I just had today this big conversation about remainder man. I mean, with a, a person who's a, a client who is going to loan a family member money to save it from being sold on a tax sale uh, and then found out that he is a remainder man. Oh my gosh. I had to pull out my remainder man statute and see what, what, and I just thought that's what I love about real estate for the most part, because it's um, even though it evolves that the notion or the, maybe the industry evolves, but the tenants of real estate are pretty much the same as it was when it started out in Anglo, uh, you know, Ang Anglican law in 1600s with the serfs and the kings and, and whatnot. So, um, and for someone like me, I like to be able to have something to review and, and have it be pretty, you know, stated and not have it, you know, change over time constantly. So it's good to know that you can pretty much rely on how the laws were written in the 1600s and how they believe it or not are still applicable in 2022. Stephanie, um, so Chris's podcast is really about impact in real estate. And you are beyond impressive beyond, I mean, just beyond your career, but you do so much pro bono work. Can you tell us about some of your projects as far as the pro bono work that you do and also you know you sit on a lot of different committees and and things like that well what I work um, with a Maryland pro bono um, clinic and I have um, oh gosh and sometimes as an attorney you you know you're still human right and I had to work with uh, several uh, Baltimore residents who were losing their homes due to um, them not paying their, their taxes and, um, and at the time their water. Um, so I was there to help them through that process and so that they could either um, renegotiate with the Baltimore tax office um, and, and, and the, you know, those uh, investors, I'll just call them, who purchase tax liens and and in having to negotiate with them so that they can either keep their home or enter into rental agreements um, so that they can stay in the home but just pay rent to the to the now new um, homeowner. Um, but again, I obviously go beyond even what is required of me because um, I want to empower, and that's what I do in my pro bono capacity is that I empower people to take agency over whatever the issue is and explain to them how the process and the system works. I, I'm not that attorney that will just say, you know, do as I say and, and not as not as I do, but do as I say mm -hmm. <laughs> and you'll be fine. Um, no, I say, look, I would rather 
Firstly, I believe that everyone has the capacity to understand information if you bring it to them in a manner that's not condescending, but in a way that is analogous to their own lives. Once you do that, people get it. And then once they get it, then they take ownership of whatever it is they need to do to rectify the problem. So that's how I handle and work with my pro bono clients that um, primarily are losing their homes. Um, and, uh, and, and then there are those times when I have to, um, you know, interploy tough love and say, look, you need to let it go. And so what does that look like for you? And one woman in particular who, um, who's now living in Kansas City, but she was uh, at the time 65. Um, she had no children, no husband. Um, she was estranged with her, her brother. Um, and uh, she was living in, Cap um, in um, Washington, D.C. Um, in an apartment that was she hadn't paid a mortgage or HOA fees in over four years and still living there. And that, and that is, let me tell you, that is indicative of how many people in the DC area are in the process of having their homes foreclosed that the courts are that jammed that you could be living crazy. in your property for four years because there's, because that's how long it takes to actually get, a court date. Okay. So, um, but she was so in denial about her ability to, you know, work out a deal with the, with the lender. And she had, um, read she, you know, every cancer in the book she had, um, had to deal with. And, and I think she had, you know, uh, started to have a little bit of Alzheimer's. And so I had to, Use, I had to use tough love, I had to use compassion, but yet I had to protect myself because sometimes when you are working in a pro bono capacity, you may have a tendency to kind of overstep your bounds. So, you know, because you're like, oh, come live with me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I feel so bad, though. And, and my husband's always like, be careful because I know that's what you want to say. Come live with me. <laughs> Yeah. We'll work it out. And so I have to always remind myself, okay, they can't live with me, but I don't want you living on the streets. And I I do everything possible to make sure that that doesn't happen. So I helped her kind of reconnect with her third cousin in Kansas. <laughs> I mean, um, it was it was quite, um, you know, it was a three-year you know, ordeal, but it, um, but I'm so happy she is safe and sound and, you know, she has, um, you know, but I had to tell her, you got to move. You don't have any income. There's no, there's nothing, you know, you are, you know, above the age of, of trying to find employment in, in her condition. So, but that, that was, I think my most meaningful pro bono client, well, who are you, Stephanie? I mean, this is, you know, not everyone's doing this pro bono work and has, you know, has a double bottom line, as they call it, right? Yes. So where did, I mean, what's your story? Where did you grow up? Did you always dream of being a uh, an attorney? Um, did you know anything about real estate? I mean, I, yeah, take me through your background, if you please. Oh, so I grew up in Chicago, 
And I grew up when um, Chicago was really just a Midwestern town. Uh, I, we, <laughs> I grew up where we would get the, the milkman would deliver milk to our door. Oh yeah, <laughs> I got an item milkman growing up too. See, they say see? I look. They say I look like him. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I always wanted to be a doctor. I actually, I guess I was just that kid that was really focused and um i started i started classical piano training at the age of five classical ballet at six and i you know uh, family members who were in medicine my mom was a nurse and my dad was get this a tax accountant what yes um, <laughs> yeah it's in and in, 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 uh, okay this is an aside this is so important his sister was the first African-American um, um, IRS agent out of Chicago, Illinois. She had started in the late 50s. Can you believe it? Can we I talk to her? Uh, well, she's now deceased. Oh, way to bring I, the mood down. I'm sorry. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, and I didn't know that until the eulogy. I was like, what? But anyway, but. So let me tell you, so I wanted to be a doctor, but guess what my dad bought me for my fifth grade uh, birthday present? Uh, a calculator. No, no. <laughs> he bought me a book called Century 21 for accounting. <laughs> Can you believe? See, that's the household I grew up in. Well, that's in. better than like, there's a lot of other things, I guess. It could like if you bought you like an iron. <laughs> yeah, well, I know, but I cried and I was like, "Dad, you know, I wanted, of course, something else." Mm. And he said, "This book will come in really handy because he was a math wizard, and he um, tutored my friend. Everyone, if you had a math problem, you came to our house, and he was there. You know, he was always tutoring everybody in math. So I love math." I love math and I love science. I said, Dad, I'm going to be a doctor. And then I realized I didn't want to really be in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So when I was 12, I said I wanted, I had cobbled up this, now this shows you my age. I cobbled up this uh, career because I said I want to be an engineer, but I also want to go to medical school. So I said, I want to be a biomedical engineer. There you go. But wait a minute, no one knew, it was not, this was in the late 70s. There was no anything. People were like, what? And I said, yeah, I kind of put it together. So I, along with, um, um, who's the, the, the gentleman who said he developed the internet? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, Al Gore, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. I invented the pra the uh, practice of biomedical engineering. Congratulations <laughs> so to you! Not, I created the field. Yes, I did. I'm nowhere. You can't find my name in any, any medical books or journals. Well, a, but um, so I I went through. That's high what the school. title of this podcast is, by the way, going to be the creator <laughs> of bio whatever biomedical engineering. Bio, yeah. But but let me tell you why I wanted to be a biomedical engineer. It's a little gets a little dark here, uh -oh. but I wanted to build parts body parts to build my own friends and so yeah there's that that sounds like a uh, hbo max show <laughs> that's it so that was my did you life. not have I a lot of friends i i had i wanted to build better people okay 
Okay. Yeah. Well, See, you are. I want, yeah. Well, now Partially. we are. I, it's amazing. But I, I was a chem major, and um, I read Friedrich Nietzsche, and then I decided uh, I, I did go dark. I said, well, now I want to be a philosopher. And so I uh, changed my major from chem to analytical philosophy, still keeping my math theme, mm. and um, decided at that point I graduated college, and then that's when I worked in the real estate uh, industry with my family in California. But um, that's when I started really wanting to be, you know, the, the notion of, okay, I really want to be in the business world. Mm. And now I had, a, and I had a, this very technical side of me, very uh, left brain, you know, part of me. I had a, I have a very right brain, you know, aspect to me as well. But I thought, oh yeah, I could do tax work. And I was walking just how how nerdy I was at twelve, want to be a biomedical engineer. I was walking around at twenty four. I want to do taxes. So all my friends would give me their tax returns. I was doing people taxes out of no, I mean, I was having so much fun. And then I realized <laughs> I can monetize this. And that's when I thought about law school. Mm. And then you went to a historically black college. Was there a lot of, uh, so during, you know, recently with Black Lives Matter, a lot of our clients are, for me at least, are like big private equity firms invest in real estate. Yes. And they're like, you know, they always pull out of, you know, their interns are always from Wharton or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they're like, shit, like all our all our <laughs> analysts and associates are like white guys. Right. And yes. they're Like, you know, with a lot of their investors, the LPs and their big funds are like, you need to get some more diversity on your team. Right. Or else we're not going to give you any more money. And so they're like, yeah, oh, crap. What's how do we do this? And so some of them I know went into historically black colleges and started like bringing some interns out of those schools, which mm-hmm. they had never done before. And I remember her call it a friend of mine who runs HR at one of these shops. She's like, I went called, I was trying to do it at one, I forget which university, but they didn't even have anything like set up for this because uh, uh-huh. no one's ever really at that called them about it, right? Um, just been so overlooked in like that particular area, I guess, like real estate, private equity, or something. Um, did you, was there a certain, um, because you went to Howard, correct? I did. Was there a certain, like, um, I guess being a black woman, like, was there a certain expectation of, like, what your ceiling could be and you were, like, got to push through it? You know, and it's funny you say that because, I mean, I couldn't have picked a, a more white male profession other than uh, real estate development. I was always... Um, the even in in California working with my uncle and his uh, his group they were African American VC group in the eighties which was almost unheard of right um, but I uh, understood and I saw the um, oh gosh the the obstacles that they had to go through in order to get financing to get lines of credit from banks in order to do development. And, um, and so I, I've, I've always uh, just stubbornly stayed in this profession, even though I've, I've come up against so many, um, obstacle, you know, when I say obstacles, I, what I mean is this, not just, oh, we'll, we won't let you in the door, but we'll let you in the door, but we won't help guide you. We won't mentor you, or we won't provide you enough information so that you can 
rise to the top, right? right. So I had to do, I had to teach myself a lot of what I know through um, a lot of trial and error, which I believe has, you know, uh, it strengthened me, which is why I do have such a, a multi, uh, a, a multi real estate practice. But in addition, it has kind of stymied me, I believe, in some aspects of, of where I should be in my development in my in terms of my client base, because when you are, um, you know, a, a black woman in this space, mm. a lot of times you're not given the opportunity to represent, you know, the, the big developer so that you can understand the complexity and the sophistication of certain aspects of a real estate deal so that you can build upon that. Right. right. So I have had to do a lot of creative things. I have had to. Um, and, and I've just because of just how you know, I've been raised and, and, and I, I just don't stop, you know, and I find if, you know, if, if the door, you know, if they close one door, you know, you open the other, if that door is closed, you find a window. If you, you know, they close the window, then you, you know, you create your own, you build your own house. Right. Right. right, right. So that that's where I am. Like, look, and, and, and interestingly enough, because now, you know, VCs and private equity investors realize that if they want to do deals in certain communities, they have to understand the community, right? right? So that's actually how I am as well as the attorney, but a conduit for investors and developers to um, connect each other. So I connect maybe the Wall Street guys with the uh, startup uh, African-American developer group here mm. in Prince George's County, right? And I've already yeah, yeah. vetted this developer group and I understand I understand the language and the sophistication that the, the, the private equity investor um, needs me to understand and make sure their investment is, you know, is they're going to get a return on their investment. Right. And, and yet I also can tell them how to, you know, how, what are the aspects, what are the descriptors of this, of this project that you need to understand from a point of view that you may not, because at the end of the day, we all have blind sides. Mm. Right. And I, and I, and I, you know, my, what, what I want to get out there is that all of us working together can be can strengthen our communities right so the investor who may know nothing about certain african-american communities and need redeveloped needs to be able to have folks on their team who have a connection to those communities the communities who may not be able to get traditional financing from a bank because they don't have the credit worthiness they need to be able to have a connection to those private equity investors right. who have who have very liquid, you know, you know, portfolios and can take a bigger risk. Wow. That's great. And then you went to I know uh Tori was saying probably the best law school is Michigan, right? Is that what you said? But uh, well, I, I, I would say that the best one is Rutgers. <laughs> that's where you went. And yeah, I, I went to Rutgers for my J D and Georgetown um, University Law Center for my LLM and tax. Okay. Well I, I'm a Rutgers grad as well. I'm from New Jersey, so Woohoo Best, best school, best Yay. state. <laughs> and you did a lot of work in New Jersey, too, so thank you for that. Yes. Yeah, the Garden State. It is the Garden State. It's not an oxymoron, folks. 
It's got more farmland than yeah, people Yeah, I grew up eat. in farmland. <laughs> I did. Lots of good tomatoes. My, I love them. Actually, my grandmother was from um, Millville, New Jersey, which is the southern part near Vineland. Okay. And to this day, like they have the best strawberries oh, and yes. pole beans, which I had never heard of anywhere else in America besides South Jersey. Well, we yes. had great tomatoes, great corn. Um, we had a farm stand side of the road and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yes. Um, well, that's amazing. And so what, what's you're doing? I mean, Tori, do you have any questions you want to add? Yes. That has a book coming out. Oh, no. Tell us about your book. Yay. Did you read it, Tori? He's a Did you read it, Tori? It, it has been. <laughs> it's not out yet. When's it coming out? Um, it's going to be out next year. It's called Creative Financing and Real Estate Development. No way. And it, yeah, way, way. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm Who's publishing it? Are you self-publishing? No, um, the American Bar Association. And uh, they, it because, you know, I wanted to write a book for, um, not just for my colleagues, but for anyone in the real estate uh, space that needs to understand how the, the whole, you know, the whole industry works. So mm-hmm. it's not just going to, these are going to be anecdotal and it's going to be anecdotal as well as technical, but I'm interviewing, um, you know, stalwart uh, real estate attorneys who had a variety of clients and kind of talking about their deals and talking about it from a narrative perspective so that when you read it, you, you'll be very interested in it. And then, of course, you know, and then I'll have chapters, you know, at the beginning to break down some of the more technical uh, verbiage and, and um, you know, very definitional. Um, and But really kind of getting to the, to the meat of how these deals work, how, how they tick. And um, I just think it's important. And primarily, the, I, I wanted to write this book because I work with a lot of minority um, and immigrant developer groups. Oh wow! Okay. Um, and to, so non-traditional real estate developers, mm-hmm. and they come to me after the fact, after the fact, after the fact, and then I go home and cry. And then after I wipe my tears, I'm like, okay. This is how we're gonna have to do it based on where we are right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> how do we how, how do we pick up the pieces? And then I scold them and say, don't ever, ever sign another document again unless you get a, an attorney to read it. And um, but just small things that if you aren't raised in an environment, you know, like sitting at the kitchen table with your dad who like in the fifties were, you know, was part of developing suburban communities and whatnot. You don't have a clue, right? right? You, no one is telling you this, you're not born with it, but it's definitely passed down from generation to generation. So I wanted to kind of, uh, demystify the real estate, you know, jargon and, and try my best to level the playing field. Um, at least, you know, as best I can at this point. If there's a link to this book, please send it to myself and, and uh, Tori, and we can put it on the podcast notes. I certainly will. Well, it looks like it might be getting a little chilly there. It's dark out. It's getting darker out. You're wearing your blazer. Is that right? It's getting a little chillier. So you got the AC, yeah, I'm you got so the AC happy. on? The AC is on, but I can smell autumn in the air. I am so excited. Are you ready for the hot seat? 
Okay. Oh. Hot Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofit startups and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So. They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. Sweating already. Ugh. Sweating bullets. You might have to take that blazer off. It's getting too hot. I know. Open a window. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> okay, I'm a, ready. Besides your own book, do you have a book and and podcast recommendation? Do I have a... Oh, wow. That is a hot seat. So hot. Told you. <laughs> so I can see I you sweating. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, oh gosh, um, I I do have a podcast recommendation. Okay, and it's and it's strictly just kind of pop pop culture. Okay, is this new podcast um, hosted by Meghan Markle? Oh, what's that one? That one is where you know it's Markle she, does marmalade. Meghan Markle, it? Princess. I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know Princess Meghan. I know she's oh. controversial, and I know you know it's, it, but I just think it's. I'm all about folks reinventing themselves. And she is talking to women who just, you know, uh, successful women who are, you know, in their own right and really teasing out of them, like just, you know, kind of their feelings and their emotions and how they see the world, how they're navigating themselves throughout the world. And even though I'm an attorney, I'm also a woman, a woman of color and I, I just I like the idea that she is stepping out and in some of the um, you know some of the uh, the interviews I've heard like with Mariah Carey and Serena Williams you know I just think that it's it's been uh, a, a quite a, uh, a show so um, so I, 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 I like that now for the book now I hope I can I know this is um, um Hmm. I, I'm gonna say the word, but I'm gonna spell it out. Spell it out. But it's okay. It says get your s h you know what t together. Shit. You can say shit. Yes, I can say shit. You just can't say fuck. Okay. okay. Oh, <laughs> I didn't say that. Those are your words, not my words. <laughs> but it's let me tell you what the book is about. And I picked it up while I was you know in a bookstore about to uh, hop on a plane. And I'm all I'm a type A personality, if you can't tell by now. And uh, and I have a lot of shit going on. And I'm always trying to, with you know, as a mom, as a wife, as a community leader, as an attorney, go, you know, as a dog mom, you know, go mm-hmm. on and on and on. I'm trying to do it to the best of my ability. And I'm all about efficiencies. And um, and one thing that keeps 
us from doing all what we want to do is one is worry. We worry about what we need to do instead of doing what we're supposed to do. So I'm all about this thing that I, I my daughter can tell you, I, I this word I say, agnosium is execution, execution, mm-hmm. execution. Because some, you know, I'm with a like 17 your, your year old. So uh, your dog does something bad, you go, execution. Yeah. <laughs> kill it, right? I say other things, oh, but. Um, not to kill the dog. Okay. Don't kill the dog. But, but yeah, I, I just, so the, so the, so the, um, so what this book is about, it's supposed to talk about why you shouldn't worry and how you should, um, how you can finish what you need to and start doing what you want to. And as you know, I've been getting older, I, I realized that, um, I've been holding on to some, you know, tasks and projects that I wanted to do, like. 15, 20 years ago, and I beat myself up for not having um, started it or whatnot. And so now what I'm doing is just really focusing and tailoring my efforts on what I really want to do right now in my life and to get my shit together to do exactly what I really want to do. What do you want to do? Well, other than write books, because there's a lot of fictional books that I want to write, um, and it kind of centers around some tax themes, but it's really, really, really funny. Um, and um, also, I want to learn how to play the guitar. Now, oh, nice. I told you, yeah, I told you that I learned a classical piano when I was young. I played for a very long time. Love it. But I am, uh, I my secret secret fantasy was always to be a female Jimi Hendrix. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Yes, isn't that your dream too? I do you play. play I, I take guitar lessons as well. See? And I'm, I'm lefty like Jimmy, but I play righty. See, I'm ambidextrous too. So I want to learn the electric guitar. And I have been saying for every big birthday that I was going to have a concert and play for my um, fans slash friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to uh, engage a local like rock band. Um, I was part of a black rock coalition in the 90s when I lived uh, in New York. Oh, really? um, I'm, oh yeah, I'm, I'm really about it, you know, uh, just, just not just diversifying the rock world because it's already, you know, diverse. It's just people don't know it. But to uh, really expose um, folks in What's your favorite variety band? of yeah, community and learn how to. What's your play favorite band? Instrument. What's your favorite band? Oh, nice, Jimmy. Oh, okay, Rush. What about like a favorite black band? Like you're talking about black rock band. Okay, now you're gonna laugh at this. Is Isley Brothers? Oh, okay, I like them. I like them. People think they are soul, but Isley Brothers play. Jimi Hendrix played with Isley Brothers when they like back in the like in the 60s mm-hmm. um there's so many connections oh my god but um I I'm I'm big even though I like classic rock I can go on and on like Aerosmith and um Zeppelin and Pink Floyd uh but I now that I'm not in the 90s love grunge music so top Nirvana I love Alice in Chains um you like Fishbone I love Fishbone. They were Fishbone. my like the first black punk band ish funk band yes. I ever heard in like eighth grade. I still listen yeah. to them. 
Yeah. How about Thin Lizzy? So, tell folks. Yeah, yeah, up. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Thin Lizzy is yeah, biracial. Um, right. Yeah, I. Uh, so I, I just uh, Willow, Willow Smith. I mean, she is amazing. Never She's heard. She's amazing. So when my daughter graduates, she knows, and she, she. I've been saying this since she was five. So I asked her, I said, Skylar, what are you gonna, what am I, mommy gonna do when you graduate? She said, you're gonna go and say, Dad, I'm taking a year sabbatical, and you're going to be a groupie at a <laughs> For Thin Lizzy. Thin Lizzy. Yeah, that's right. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, do you have any advice for anyone looking to start out in this field? Your field. My field. Well, um, center yourself. <laughs> Find Find your no. Find your why, and I know that's such an overplayed, uh, you know, fr- uh, concept. But really, this is um, a doggy dog field. You so this is now. This is my words because I'm going to write a book about this. Mm-hmm. But when you become a lawyer, you're either going to be an evangelist or an atheist. Mm-hmm. And so, what do I mean by that? <laughs> so either you are in your office praying to God, what deity, whatever it is, saying your rosary, using your prayer beads. um, (laughs) Cause you're just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Please help me. Please help me through this. Or you're going to be so disgusted with mankind because of some of the people you represented. You're going to be like, there's no way there's a God. (laughs) Human beings are this wretched. So, I feel like you need to know who you are first to push through that and keep doing it. Be be grounded. It's not because at the end of the day, you guys look anything else. Practice makes perfect. Right. But you have got to be grounded in who you are as a human being. And then when you go through this process, you can flow with it. You can be flexible and um, and and then find it out your and your passion and purpose. So if you're a musician and you're like, I would like to go to law school, that's fine. And then start looking at how you could be an entertainment attorney. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are working in a if, in a capacity of in medicine or in a hospital, or you may think about, okay, I can be a male mad practicer. So think about what it is that you really like to do mm-hmm. or you have an interest in and see what type of legal representation is needed in that in that industry. And then when you're going through law school, then you have a point of reference and and then you can develop purpose. So all the noise around you can be just noise. But if you go in just, oh, I want to be an attorney because someone says it's cool or they make a lot of money, you're going to fall into a lot of pit holes. Good answer. Always have the why. Because shit gets yeah. hard. Yeah, it um, is. Next one. What's your most memorable deal? My most memorable deal was working um, with the developer in Trent, New Jersey. Yes. I was a baby attorney. And at the time, I remember I told you, you know, there is a lot of doors closed to, you know, women of color in, the, in this area. So I had to kind of learn it all for myself. 
and I represented a it was an African American developer, and he uh, had this dream of building a shopping center down in Trenton. I didn't know anything about any of that, <laughs> so, but I said, "Yeah, I'll represent you." And I went. To, I stayed up night and day to learn all of what it takes to close on a commercial real estate deal. And I, I'll never forget when at closing, and there were like four different lenders involved, various aspects of the financing, and they had the lease finance, everything. And I was it. And the attorney looked at me. He said, you have done the work of six attorneys. And he, it was, he said, I cannot believe you're the only one who has done all of this. Because in most firms, you will have, you know, the closing attorney, you'd have the land use attorney, the zoning attorney, you have all, and I had always <laughs> wear all of these hats. And that's when I realized my, my power, I realized my superpower. And then, um, and that really just kind of spurred me to believe that, you know, if I put my mind to it, I know I can do it. That's amazing. I love that. Well, this is, we are recruiters. I know we're wonderful people, but we're also recruiters um, and podcast hosts. So I'm sure some of the people on this pod are listening to the podcast are interested in some some tips regarding hiring. What do you, I mean, you've interviewed for positions. It sounds like you now interview or have recently interviewed people for, you know, at companies you've worked at. What do you look for when you're interviewing people or like, or any, do you have any helpful interview tips that you've used before? Well, I, I do. And, and, so let me just say this right now. The, the legal industry is hurting mm. <laughs> in, on the administrative side, on getting um, young attorneys to come in and work as hard as we worked. Yeah. And, and, and let me tell you this, because I certainly don't want anyone to at me, what have you, but I'm not saying how it was done to us was right. Okay, the working, you know, uh, to wee hours in the morning doing FaceTime, obviously it's all pre-COVID. But one thing that we, I know there's this notion everyone's quietly quitting or whatnot. <laughs> the great resignation. The great resignation has crippled this this industry because we can't find people, you know, administrative staff that, you know, will who want to go overboard. We can't find paralegals that have the expertise anymore because a lot of the uh, paralegals that have the expertise are now retiring. And so it's almost now where I just feel like we're going to have to build a new workforce in this, in the real estate space. So what I look for now, when I talk with uh, either staff, um, paralegals or associates is I look for someone who, who, has a handle on what is it that they're interested in. I'm not looking for folks to want to be in any job for longer than they want to. It's fine to say, yes, I want to do this for a short time, but I'm looking for people who are transparent about that. But whatever it is you do, you you do it to the best of your ability. You know, I'm, I'm not, I understand where the notion of quiet quitting comes from because we're all, you know, burned out from various reasons, but there is an, 
aspect of actively working, right? And it's not about, yes, I'm going to sell my soul or give my everything to the company. It's not about the company. It really is about building this, this muscle within yourself that even if no one else recognizes how great you are, but that you are pushing yourself to a level of greatness because guess what? That then transcends to other areas of your life. And so I'm looking for people who are, who understand that it's like, no, you may not want to be a, um, you know, litigator for the rest of your life or, or do real estate, but you're interested in it. When you're in it, be in it, be in it to win it and then understand it. And then when you move on to something else, you're every, every aspect of your journey, you are building muscles so that you take along with you. And if we are all just passively working now in our society, think about how, how that will transcend into the rest of your life. If you're quietly quitting at work, are you quietly motherly? Are you quietly being a spouse? Are you quietly being a community resident if you follow my drift? So we want people to find a purpose in their, whatever it is in life, find that purpose. It can be a flame that burns very quickly, or it can be a long lasting flame, but life is too short to be doing anything passively. Participate in your life. Absolutely. Now, this is a new question. It's fine. What is your favorite interview question? Do you have one? Um. Wow. Because hmm. we had a woman, Farrah Jackson, on here. She's been on three times. But she <laughs> always asks, says, tell me a joke. That's the last question she asked somebody on the interview. And she wants to figure how they're thinking and like if they they don't have to be funny or they don't have to tell the joke. Like they can just like try to walk them through it type of thing. I thought that was pretty interesting. Like if somebody has a, kind of a go-to interview question, you don't have to have one. It's okay. Yeah. Well, you know, let me tell you what I, I don't, the question that I don't like is, um, you know, what are your weaknesses? Because I always feel like those are just. I work too of, hard. Yeah. I care yeah, too I much. I care too much. <laughs> But you know, honestly, I I um I like the the questions of uh tell me about yourself because it gets people to start thinking about well who am I, you know, mm-hmm. and and I do ask people about well what what are your long term goals, and that's not a gotcha question. Like I said, I'm not looking for indentured servants, you know, um, and I was when I I because when I had my own practice. And I remember telling some staff members and, you know, they try to keep hush hush about, oh, their side hustles and all that. I said, look, I'm a businesswoman. I may want to invest in your side hustle. But if you can't commit to where you are right now and have the energy then to go home and commit to your side hustle, then you're not going to see progress. So I'm all about, hey, if you only work here for six months, do your best, and I may be a, I may be your first investor. Right. So, yeah, I want to know who people are. I want to know what who I'm working with from a human level because everything else is trainable. Awesome. 
Well, we usually ask you what your impact is, your job, but you already asked it. We already asked that earlier, didn't we? Oh, yeah, we definitely. We um, should we ask it again? <laughs> yeah, Stephanie's career is so impactful in so many different it, why ways. Why don't you close it out, Victoria? Um, I mean, I, you know, I think that just looking at, you know, your bio or your resume, you can see all of um, the work that you've done, whether it be in government service or, um, you know, serving on boards or doing pro bono work. But I guess to rephrase the question, not just ask, you know, how or why is your practice yeah, specifically things, impactful? So. Um, but <laughs> what is your proudest impact? What impact of all the impact you've made um, is your, are you the most proud of? I'm the most proud of when people say to me, you've changed my life. Um, whether you are a real estate developer and your dreams have been realized, um, if you're an investor and you have um, now you, you can see the uh, return in your investment and you believe you can now create generational wealth or you know, when I have had people say, I, one gentleman, I actually cried. I had to leave the closing table because it, I didn't want to, you know, sit at the table. But he was a Vietnam vet and he had lost his way. He was about to lose a house that he had inherited. I talked down. I mean, literally, he was about to be foreclosed on and I negotiated. We did some very creative ways so that he could stay in the house. And he said that he could now sleep. It's been 10 years he hadn't been able to Whoa. sleep. And he thought about committing suicide. And now that I gave him a reason to live. So that was not my most uh, big ticket, you know, client. But it certainly was my most heartfelt client. And I knew that even when I'm stressing, I'm, I'm sitting in a corner with my thumb in my mouth, like, oh, my God, what am I doing? <laughs> Never. I knew right then and there that this is, this is, you know, the way, you know, how twisted the universe can be, but this is the way that I'm giving back to society. If it's just one person at a time saving their houses or developing communities. So. Wow. That's a good yeah. answer. It's a good question yeah. there, Victoria. That was a great question. Well, Stephanie. Thank you. Well, thank you for your answer. Yeah. It, it really is inspiring seeing someone have such a, long and profound impact um, throughout their career. Yeah. Yes, Debbie. Yep. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for being so thank passionate. Thank you. Uh, we can't wait to see you with the Jimi Hendrix outfit on. Um, I can't wait. I, I see it in my head. It's all there. I'm seeing it in my head, too. <laughs> and, it looks so awesome. And you guys are going to be invited to the concert, but I got to be, because I am a little bit of perfectionist, I got to be good. I don't know if I'm going to be able to play with my teeth, Okay. Mm -hmm. Not yet. Anyway, <laughs> we'll just have you. Um, well, well, maybe we'll do a live recording of that for the podcast. Especially that. That'd, be, that'd be great. <laughs>